This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I'm here every week this season to bring you episodes on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journeys. You can follow along with me on Instagram and Facebook at The Adoptive Mom. This is episode 11 of season seven, episode 104 overall. It is also time for another Enneagram expert interview. And today we're going to chat with Joey Shuey, daughter of the Suzanne Stabile and Enneagram and parenting expert. Joey has been a student of the Enneagram for more than 20 years, obviously. And as an Enneagram mentor, she completed a, an intensive three-year apprenticeship with Suzanne in 2006 and has taught in tandem with her mama for over a decade. Whether she's teaching with Suzanne or on her own, you, Joey brings a unique perspective to the podium. And as an Enneagram eight, who has been on the journey, journey to self-discovery using the Enneagram since she was a teenager. Joey's application of Enneagram wisdom flows through dating and marriage, raising children, and managing employees and work relationships through careers that span the corporate and educational realms. And so Joey and I are going to chat all about how we should view our kids through the lens of the Enneagram and how we can use it as a tool in our tool belt when understanding our kids. I am so freaking pumped for this interview because y'all know I am all about those practical tips and how-tos as long as they're alongside healing dialogue and lots of grace, which is what this interview is. Before we jump in though, I want to remind you guys that you only have a few more weeks to grab your AMP Enneagram tees. Y'all, they are so cute and comfy. I sent one to each of my number series guests. So if you want to match all of the cool women I've interviewed, head to the adoptive mom slash shop. Okay, let's go chat with Joey. Okay. Hello, Joey. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So like we were just, we were talking uh, before we started recording, I love your mom. She has a huge fan in me Um, and she has such amazing things to say about you. I've been getting to know you in a one-sided relationship by listening to (laughs) other podcasts you've been on. And so I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Um, Take a second and just fill us in on you. Tell us who you are and what you do. Okay. So my name is Joey Shuey and yes, I am the eldest daughter of the Enneagram master and godmother, Suzanne Stabile, uh, which means that, um, I've known Enneagram for a long time. That is, um, some people say that's both, you know, about certain things. That's a blessing and a curse. I count it only blessing when it comes to Enneagram. So I just turned 42 at the end of uh, June and I have known the Enneagram since I was 19 which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, to know it, it's that many years. And I, I've been teaching it um, actually across the United States, mainly in the corporate realm um, for about 12 to 13 years. So as far as Enneagram goes, it's something that um, is part of my everyday life. My husband and I um, have been married for 17 years 
And we met in college. So when I was learning it at 19, he was learning it at 19 as well. Yeah. Which has been unbelievably valuable for an eight and a nine in a marriage. So I'm an eight on the Enneagram and um, my husband, Billy, is a nine. And, and I, I think I put on Instagram with our, our um, 17th wedding anniversary was in March. And I posted something like, um, you know, here's to 17 years of you explaining me to people in, you know, in a relational way, because that's what, that's what my nine husband does. (laughs) You know, I go through and, and offend everybody and he comes behind, you know, and, and in such a great way says, well, this is what, but she really, this is where, you know, what was going on. So, yeah, so he is wonderful. We have two amazing children, uh, two boys. Our son, Will, is 14, going into ninth grade. And our son, Sam, is 11, and he's going into sixth grade. Um, Will Shuey is self-identified for on the Enneagram, which is, um, I I think my children probably are, are going to be able to identify themselves a little bit earlier than most children because it's the water we swim in and their grandmother, you know, is a, is a part of so much that we do that um, we're we're all fairly certain Sam himself included that he's a seven. So um, we've got, we've got four different numbers rolling around in our house and um, you've got all the triads covered. All the triads are covered, but no dependent stance. So only aggressive withdrawing stance. Present. <laughs> yeah, your stance is not there. So I'm glad you and you can bring that to the conversation today for sure. Enneagram is just, um, you know, we're kind of in this meme culture right now where it's so easy to use Enneagram as a punchline. And that kind of just hits me in my soul a little hard every day because it's so transformative it's not the only tool out there, but it is one that is super helpful. And so I'm, I'm glad that I, that I have the opportunity to be able to share it with others as well. Mm. I bet that's an interesting perspective. Um, just having the knowledge of the Enneagram for so long and watching it become a trend. And yeah. I imagine the fours out there are struggling a lot more with it. They are. <laughs> I, I actually interviewed with a four yesterday uh, for Enneagram magazine and, and, and I appreciated her perspective as well and knew before I'd even asked her that she was a four, just the way yeah. she was kind of talking about it. Yeah. Losing that depth and meaning is a, is a struggle. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, okay, so a couple of things. So first of all, you went to Hendrix, right? Yes. So you yes. you have been in my state for a little awesome. bit. Awesome. Good. Uh, not in my area, but in my state. I'm in Northwest. Yeah, Arkansas is a gorgeous place to go to college for sure. Yes, and I mean, it's so crazy that the tiny town of um, – the tiny town has Conway. like so many colleges in it. It's yes, so yeah. Funny. And it's grown since then, but Conway Eat was was tiny and didn't have much. Yeah, from ninety six to two thousand when I was there, and somehow crammed University of Central Arkansas and Central Baptist College and Hendricks College. Yeah, yeah. No, I did live in Little Rock for a little bit, and okay. um, you guys had Sam's Club, so we were we made our pilgrimage there once. There a month. we go. So back in the nineties. There we go. <laughs> um, okay. All of that aside, I am so excited to talk to you about Enneagram and parenting. And I think that, you know, this is something I say on my podcast all the time is that, yes, we are adaptive moms, but we have so few resources that are just for us, just like healing our souls and our hearts. And there's so many resources out there saying, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you can do better. 
here's how to understand your kids more, which is great, but no one's being like, yeah, but what about you? And so with this Enneagram series, I'm very excited. Um, I've been able to interview women from each number, adoptive moms from each number, just to talk about how the Enneagram has influenced their parenting and their, uh, just adoption journeys. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of rounding out my series with your interview because I, I'm so excited to be like, okay, but how do we marry those two together? How do we look at our kids through the lens of maybe not their exact number, but, um, you know, just understanding them better and understanding their motivations better, especially through trauma mixed with who we are and our bents, um, in our numbers. So, yeah. So maybe just walk us through what you do with Enneagram and parenting and how that translates to us as moms. Sure. So, um, you know, like I said, to have a 14 year old that we've, we've, been navigating this Billy and I for a while. And, and when you, when you start out, um, knowing the Enneagram before you even start parenting and you swim in those waters as much as we do, you can't help but apply it. Right. And, um, my, our child will is a, is a four. And what I have said, um, so often when I'm teaching is thank God for the Enneagram because without it, as an eight mom to my four child, I would have spent the last 14 years aggressively trying to fill his half empty cup. Yes. And he's fine with a half empty cup. That's what's normal. You know, fours, their outlook, they cannot help but see what's missing. He cannot change that. So I love that you mentioned motivations when you're talking about your kids um, and just us as parents, because I think that in this culture where Enneagram is blowing up so quickly, um, people miss immediately. um, They take a first misstep when they start applying behavior. They want to give an Enneagram number based on behavior because that's, that's your first misstep. The reason I believe that it is lasted for thousands of years is because it's the one system out there that types us based on our motivation and not our behavior. And quite frankly, as parents, as parents who are trying to be good parents for our kids and help mold and guide them, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then there's not much you can do about it, right? Right. And so as Billy and I just started kind of navigating that, that parenting life with our child first with Will and then coming behind him with Sam, we were so aware that even before we knew what we, you know, we thought their number might be, it was clear whether or not our children were aggressive, dependent, or withdrawing. So if I can take just a minute to kind of run through almost a crash course of what that actually means, right? Uh, And and it's another one of the things that I love about the Enneagram. You can layer other teachings on top of it that don't have to be Enneagram specific. Mm -hmm. And the fact that as human beings, we're all born with three intelligence centers, that's native, you know, that's, that's a native piece to just us as humans, thinking, feeling, and doing, right? What do I think? What do I feel? What am I going to do? That's, that's basic human beings and doesn't necessarily have a specific Enneagram, um, niche or tie. But then when you really look at it, it layers really well with Enneagram understanding. So for all of us, we're born with all three 
And what happened is early on in life, one of those three centers moved forward and that's, it became our dominant center. They can't all jockey for position all the time. One of them has to move forward. That's our dominant. And what that essentially means is we are either using as human beings, thinking, feeling, or doing to take in and process information. So Alex, you and I are, have, are actually in the same triad in Enneagram. Um, we have the same dominant center. So for both of us, we take in and process with doing. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we see it immediately and, and we function that way. So eights, nines, and ones are, are in that triad where doing is dominant. Twos, threes, and fours, um, for those three numbers, feeling is dominant. For those three individuals, they're taking in information with feeling, with that center. And then for mm-hmm. five, sixes, and sevens, it's thinking. So while that's certainly important and has its place, in the 23 years that I've known the Enneagram and worked with it on my own personal journey, knowing what is least accessed for me, what center is least accessed has been the most important for sure. So for me, I'm doing dominant and as an eight, I'm doing dominant and thinking supports doing and I feel rarely, if ever. And for you, you're doing dominant and um, feeling supports your doing and productive thinking. It's not thinking in general because because you think all the time. You know, that dialogue with your inner critic is yes. is going on all the time. And that's not always productive. So so the challenge, just as I'm challenged to bring up feeling, you're challenged to bring up productive thinking. And and as Billy and I kind of started navigating that, it was just so I was so aware that while we're both doing dominant, so he's He's that nine who's in, he's wedged right in between you and I. Um, And as a nine, he's a primary number. So when you're looking at the Enneagram and you see the arrows going every direction, shooting off in every direction, you see that triangle in the middle of the Enneagram. Yeah. That's the three, six, nine triangle. And what's happening for those parents and those children is they, while they're taking in information with doing, so Billy takes in information with doing just like you and I do. But then Billy Shuey does not process with doing. So as a nine, he's doing plenty of things. It's not always what needs to be done, though. He's just, right. just done process. And then you've got those threes in the feeling triad who, quite frankly, have it all over me as an eight because we're both aggressive in our behavior. And while I don't have any access to feeling, man, those threes, they take in with feeling. So while they're not processing with it, they're, they're more unclear of what their true feelings are. They recognize it in others, right? So, so my example with a three and an eight who both look a lot alike behaviorally, mm-hmm. threes, if we're going to run a race, a three and an eight, we're both want to win. Like we, at all costs, we're going to cross that finish line first. A three though, and we're both going to run over you to cross the finish line. Well, those threes know they ran over you. Like they see that it's not going to stop them. But what it does mean is the minute they cross the finish line, they're coming back to help you up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It just rips them apart inside. Alex, I have no idea I ran over you. Like you were a speed bump. As an eight, I just am not a naturally relational person. And I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about the next biggest thing that I'm going to infuse all of my energy into and 
I, I rarely bring feeling into that. And, and what we were noticing is some of those elements, we saw the same thing in our son, Sam. So what we started saying and identifying and noticing was, man, you should not type your child because you could be wrong. And because your kids need to figure out their personality. Like part of growing up is navigating and feeling out kind of who you're going to be in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but if you recognize your child's stance, if you recognize whether they're aggressive, if you recognize whether they're dependent or recognize whether they're withdrawing, there's certain um, elements that you can just incorporate into your parenting that will help them be the best kid they can be. Yeah. So that's what we came at. It was as when I keep saying aggressive, independent, and withdrawing, that's, I'm referring to stances in the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And you're in a stance. You and I are in a different one. As I, as I pointed out, uh, Billy and I are in a different one too. So every triad has a member, each member of the triad has, is in a different stance. Mm -hmm. And you've got to keep in mind that it's motivation. Right. So, and it's based on which one of those three intelligence centers just fell away and was least accessed. So for threes, sevens, and eights, we are known as the aggressive stance numbers. And for us, feeling is least accessed. Mm-hmm. Now, people, when they hear that, they're like, oh yeah, threes and eights are definitely aggressive, but I, I wouldn't think of sevens as being aggressive. Oh, they are. <laughs> They're quite aggressive. And we have to remember that this is not about behavior. This mm-hmm. is all about motivation. And the truth is threes and sevens and eights are all motivated, motivated quite aggressively. And our son, Sam, is fun and wonderful and brings so much energy to everything until it's not what he wants to do. And then he withdraws all of that. And it's, it's, honestly like the air's being sucked out of the room we just mm-hmm. we you, something huge is missing and he's behaviorally not going to act out but he's going to in his mind if we're not doing what he wants to do that thinking dominant seven is just going to go somewhere else in his mind and mm-hmm. that takes him away from us essentially so what we believe is three sevens and eights for whom feeling is least accessed Um, what it means is that whatever's happening in front of us, and if this is as adults and children, we can stand independent from what's going on. We can affect it if we want to, but we don't have to. We can also choose to completely ignore what's happening. Mm -hmm. We can stand independent from it. And you can recognize that in your child. If, if something's blowing up next to them and they're choosing to just They're not leaving, but they can just stand next to it and independent from it, Mm. right? So that kind of quality in in threes, sevens, and eights will serve us well um, at certain times, but it also can keep us kind of oblivious. Mm. And what it means is those three numbers, we don't naturally consider others. We don't. And when I, when I teach the importance of bringing up feeling to adults who are aggressive, Alex, they kind of give me a confused look, honestly, mm-hmm. because what they're picturing is um, a very heavy four or two kind of feeling. And, and that's, and it's honestly something we can't comprehend in our mind. Yeah. And really all it is, is being considerate of others. 
It's bringing up feeling enough to realize there's someone else in the room. There's someone else in the, in the group. There's someone else who has an opinion that matters Yeah, and, and who have feelings that they actually tie into like every other number in one way or another is tying into feelings. And, and to understand that and see that in your kid, if they just don't naturally consider feelings is it's important to note. And what we say for those, those, um, that stance, if your kid is aggressive, um, what they need is consistency across the board. Interesting. Cause you are talking about my daughter, Jane right now, okay. who is four Okay. And she seems to be the least needing of consistency. Like she's so go with the flow seeming. Sure. And does kind of what she wants. So, so uh-huh. what we notice with Sam, here's here, I'm going to give you an example for every number. Okay. So for me as an eight, my parents talked about, like, I'll say till the end of time that, that, you know, we didn't learn it. I didn't know it till I was 19. My mom didn't know it. And my dad didn't know it when they were parenting me. Mm-hmm. But what they did do as parents is they would say things to me like, you know, you make a valid point and we're not going to do that because we're your parents and you're 12 and you don't know everything. And what is happening to eights, young eights all over the world, they have the most energy in the house. Mm-hmm. They're very objective. We see without feeling. So we actually see pretty logically. Yeah. And we process so quickly that usually what we say or think should be done is kind of makes the most sense. Well, you roll all that together and with, with a very strong personality and parents are letting their eight children run the household and it's not okay. And the caveat there is people think that eights want to control them. Couldn't be further from the truth. We're not relational enough to want to consider you to want to control you. We don't want to tell you what to do. What we want is scene control. S-C-E-N-E control. And we respect others who can compete and go toe to toe. So what eights need specifically is consistent authority. They need the parent to say, yep, you're being super strong right now and you're the child. And parents think that's going to cause like World War III with eight children. It's not. So what they need is consistent authority. Okay. Uh Then you've got these sevens. Then you have Sam Shuey who plays by himself expertly, right? So if we say to Sam don't slide down the banister. Well, he might slide down it 99 times by himself. And, and we don't say a word, right? Because is he really hurting anyone? And do we really want to jump in and have our seven child who's bringing us so much joy and sunshine to withdraw that? Like, what is it hurting? And that's honestly the unconscious thing that happens. Well, then the hundredth time he slides down and hits, runs into his brother. And that's when we swoop in mm-hmm. when what he's needed all along was the first time he slid down. it. if that was the rule for us to say, to risk the leaving, because he'll live into that. So sevens actually need consistent boundaries. They have to have them because they live in a world. They're so charming and so disarming of others that they get to break the rules 
all the time at school, at home, with friends, and they become adults and, and very real consequences that were never imposed on them as children because none of us wanted the fun to go away, yes. come down hard. Listen, Joey, I did not expect to feel this convicted. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. This is my daughter, Jane. And I, we, we say that all the time. Have you seen the, it's a YouTube, like uh, it's a honey badger video where it's yes. just, that she's a honey badger. Yeah. Like we yeah. always say that we're like, Jane doesn't care. Jane does yeah. what she wants. No, does exactly what she wants. And it's, and it's not hurting anyone ever. Yeah. And then when it does, she didn't mean to. Like I, we started, we started noticing with Sam with school issues early on, early on. So you're going to see it. One of, one of the biggest clues that your child could be a seven is, is how they, what happens in school from the earliest preschool ages for Sam, you know, they're, his preschool's trying to socialize them. So you're, they're imposing different rules and they all are attached to write a number or a code or a letter or something. Well, I would pick up three-year-old Sam and his teachers had crammed like five or six of those into one little box, right? Of everything Sam had, every rule Sam had broken that day. And, and you pick him up and you, and no one's going to say anything about it. And then you go to the parent teacher conference and they say, oh my gosh, we love Sam. We love him. And they do. They don't want to be the heavy. No one. And, and these adults, <laughs> us, their teachers, everyone, no one wants the fun. There's something intangible about sevens. And you, when you see it go away, you don't ever want that to leave again. And so we let them get away with murder. Yeah. It's what happens. Yes. Yes. So we believe sevens need consistent boundaries for sure. And so, and it seems like it would be hard to impose, but I'm telling you, I've, te- I've talked with my brother enough. Who's a, who's a 35 year old seven saying, man, I'm just now try- trying to consider others. And like, I'm getting this thing. There are other people in the world. And, and he, he tells me all the time, sevens aren't, aren't as impulsive as we think. They just, they're, they're thinking processing and they think the juice is worth the squeeze. Like I'm going to do this. And the excitement and the fun and the anticipation of it is probably worth whatever will come. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have threes who I say threes and ones, Alex. So I'll be interested to know your thoughts on this. I think Your husband's a three, by the way. Okay. Well, I think your children who are threes and ones are like your perfect children in the house. They're ha- like, they are, they're, they're staying in their lane. Things are, you know, they are doing what needs to be done for different mm-hmm. reasons, right? For threes, they're going to be the best. But what these threes, what we're, what we are affirming for these threes and in a lot of ways, ones, and I'll get to that when I talk about dependent stance, we're affirming for them that they are human doers and not, you know, human doings and not human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just tend to reward the, the good gesture, those things. And for a three who is naturally wired not to go within, Mm -hmm. if we don't recognize that and almost, and, and give them consistent challenges to look within or to look at their behavior when no one else, when there's not a prize associated for it, right? Mm -hmm. If we can recognize that and, and, and we almost for that whole stance, you have to be the toughest with the kids who almost seem to be the 
doing the best, if that makes sense, right? They just kind of seem like they've got it figured out. You've got to be consistent with those three because the world is going to come behind you with um, consequences that they haven't experienced, right? I, I learned early on that I can't just be completely honest and tell people exactly what I think because that's, that hurts their feelings right now. I st- I've got to, I tell you, you never arrive on this journey. And I, I, I am certain I hurt someone's feelings yesterday. You know, I, I still struggle with how is it a personal attack? If it's honest, since when has honesty become <laughs> a personal attack? I'm not talking about your, you know, your physical makeup or anything. I'm literally saying you're not doing a very good job and you're not. How is that a personal attack? Right. I have to rein that in all the time, Alex. Like that's my, that's my thing to deal with. And thank God I had parents who, who said consistently, yeah, yeah, you're, you do make it. That's valid. And you're not, you're still a kid. You know, that's that you need to rein that in essentially. Goodness. God, God put a, uh, a two in your immediate family and a four in your immediate family. They so did. that's they probably uh, an act of refinement for you. Every a lot day. of help. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of help for sure. So then you move to this dependent stance. So that's when I teach it to adults, ones, twos, and sixes. Um, they love hearing about that, that aggressive stance and how they need, you know, to bring up feeling they're all on board with that. And then I turn to ones, twos, and sixes and say, um, well, your stance is called dependent and you need to bring up thinking. And you all three collectively look at me and say, yeah, no, I was right there with you for everything with aggressive stance, but I'm sorry. I am not dependent and I'm thinking all the time. No, yeah. The inner critic is thinking, but I wouldn't say that that's me thinking. Good girl. So you're already showing you, you get that delineation. Um, and the truth is ones, twos, and sixes can be the most, um, independent individuals, but the reality for you three as adults and as children, and I'm telling you, you can see it in your kids early on Mm -hmm. their reference point is outside of themselves on what's happening. Mm -hmm. They're tied to it and they can't not see that way. Like we, what I say all the time in Enneagram, when you're doing Enneagram work, um, you got to remember, you're never going to be able to change your number. Number, You cannot change the way you see. You can't change it, but you mm-hmm. can change your behavior. You can change what you do with how you see. Yeah. So for ones, twos, and sixes, um, their reference point is outside of themselves. They feel responsible for making the world a better place. They, mm-hmm. if they, if someone in front of them needs something, they cannot stand independent. They can't. So w- the way Billy and I teach it is as children, these children are most likely the litmus test in your house because their reference point is on what's happening in the house. Yes. So if you've got a dependent child who's not doing great, especially during COVID, you, get, you need to be looking around because they are, are taking in and processing and internalizing what isn't good outside of them. Yeah. No, I, my son, Grady, I really, uh, this is him. And like, if my husband and I are fighting, like he uh-huh. is the one that is not okay. Right. And even if we're not doing it overtly, he can right. sense it. He senses it. He knows that he's not okay. So it's a good, 
you're going to recognize that with these kids. And especially at this time with COVID, I really believe we don't have a dependent child in our house, but I believe that ones, twos, and sixes. So what we say they need as children, while aggressive stance needs consistency, um, we believe that the dependent stance children need affirmation. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of go through those individually. But the truth is they are getting that affirmation at school. Like they... They play school well. Ones, twos, and sixes know what they're doing. They know how to do what, what, what it takes to get affirmation from teachers and parents and coaches. Mm-hmm. They thrive on that and need it. And they've been in COVID where, you know, you're not get, there's no way any of us are giving it to them in the way that they received it and consistently as, as consistently as they received it wow. at school. So they're kind of probably struggling just in those ways as well. My guess is you see it as them being a little more needy, a little more clingy, a look right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. And if you're, a, you know, not a strong feeler, if you're a doer or it's that clean, it's you're like, what, you know. It's standing blah, in the way blah. of progress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for, for these three, what we think is they need affirmation. And if you can, for ones, we, we believe, again, you may not know their number, but if you, we think you can figure out their stance. So even if you're just looking to give affirmation in, in one of these forms, you're going to hit it. Mm-hmm. We believe ones need um, personal versus performance affirmation. As you well know, Alex, and I'm sure you've talked about that inner critic for ones it, it starts early. They've got it. That if your one child has it, you probably are seeing it. You, you understand it mm-hmm. because it's there early. And so what, what we believe parent, the affirmation they need, one's need as kids is um, find ways because they're, they're, they're doing what they should be doing like three children are, right? And that's when we come in and thank them. Thank you for sweeping the floor, right? Instead of, oh my gosh, you saw that I needed help. I love that you noticed that about me. You know, I, I thank yeah. you. For, and, and there are ways to say thank you for being you and not thank you for doing what you did. Yeah. And it's not going to, it won't um, get rid of the voices because you can't change how you see, you can't change who you are, but it, it does that just those little messages um, early on enough kind of help to mitigate the voices a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For twos, and and this is something that is almost a the biggest asterisk for parent, for mom, or kid. Twos need to realize that because you're dependent, your reference point is outside of yourself, and you're feeling dominant. You're the one number on the Enneagram who feels, picks you pick it up from the person in front of you and feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So your two children are coming home. Your two spouses coming home. Uh, If you're a mom, you're coming home with this. You're doing it without even thinking, without even bringing up productive thinking. You're picking up and feeling what other people are feeling. And at the end of the day, you're coming home with all that feeling. And it honestly takes a practice of bringing up productive thinking to realize probably 80 to 90% of what you're feeling aren't even your own feelings. So if you have that two child coming home as an emotional wreck, well, they've picked up feelings that were, ne- and they're, they think they're their own feelings. Like they're feeling all that stuff. 
they didn't even realize they picked it up from some, you know, these myriad of situations and people at school or wherever they were. And what twos need just to kind of help that is they need, they need affirmation in the form of emotional intimacy. Okay. You gotta, it's a very specific thing. And, and I'll, I'll tell you the practical thing we tell parents is find one-on-one time to do things with your two child that they want to do because they're going to defer. Yeah. Nines and twos are both the most deferential. They defer. They just naturally defer to the other. What's unique with twos is they know what they want to do. Nines really don't, most of the time, don't care one way or the other. They're really kind of go with the flow mm-hmm. people. But twos know what they want. They just, they, they want to meet your need first. And if you can kind of explore with them what they want and then do that with them, that's huge for those, mm-hmm. for those two children. And then sixes. So we, Billy and I, um, piloted as we were kind of building together, building our curriculum to teach. We had several pilot groups where we were just talking to, you know, parents of all numbers. And I had a great six in the group um, who had, she had an eight for a father. Mm. And and her mom was a two. And she said, you know, growing up, her father was was very instrumental for her as a six because... Eights, again, we don't want to control you. We want you to handle, we want you to be empowered in yourself. And, and we, she would go to her father. So another um, clue that your child might be in the dependent stance, because they are not bringing up thinking naturally, they have a million questions. Yeah. Dance children are asking all the questions Uh because they don't trust their own thinking because it's least accessed and their reference point is outside of them. So they, they are naturally wired to look to the situation to see what should happen. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they can't stand independent from it and they can't withdraw from it. And so what's going to go with that naturally is so many questions. And when you have a six who's taking in information with thinking, but not using productive thinking to process their questions are coming out times 20. It's just because they're thinking all the time and it's almost like they're in a hamster wheel on their mind. So they've got lots of questions. Yeah. And as parents, we want the quick, especially think of all the things we have to do as parents, right? It would be so much easier just to answer the question than you write. But what you actually need to do with the six for sure for all three numbers, but, but sixes, it's an important thing. They need affirmation of their thinking. And so, so this six adult said, every time she had a question, her dad would say, well, what do you think? Her dad would take the time and say, well, what do you think you should do? And that just was this one element in her life. It didn't mean she wasn't going to be a six because she's still a six through and through. She still has the hundred questions. She still doubts and she doubts herself first. And then she doubts everyone else. But it did start to give her this little piece of affirmation of her thinking that, okay, I might know what to do, which was helpful. So you do that with your kids too. And then fours, fives, and nines. Oh, these children, these lovely, lovely withdrawing children in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, For them, for all in withdrawing stance, adults and kids doing, and it's usually like productive doing, is the least accessed. And so they're the quietest. 
They mm-hmm. withdraw the quickest to their room or their place in the house that they like the most. I have one of these too. Yes. 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 And what these children need as a stance, as a withdrawing stance, um, fours, fives, and nines need latitude. Okay. Which is so counterintuitive, right? You think, surely my aggressive kid doesn't need consistency. They're, they're good. They, you know, but yes, they actually, you gotta be, you gotta be most on your game with them. And then ones, twos, and sixes in terms of consistency, man, I think parents across the world need to be the most on their game with their dependent stance kids because their reference point is on you. Like if Billy and I aren't bringing our A game as parents, Sam is standing independent from it as a seven and Will's withdrawing from it. If we had a dependent child in the house, their reference point is on us not bringing our A game. Interesting. So you have to be almost the most active and, and, and the most on your game with your dependent children because their reference point is on you. It's on you. I have a kid in each stance. This is yeah. exhausting. Yeah, it is. It is. You got, they're all in something. Fours, fives, and nines, though, they're just withdrawing from it, right? And, and so what they actually need is latitude. So let's start with nines. Let's start with the salt of the earth nines who go along, don't need much. They're naturally deferential and muddled in with all that. They want to avoid conflict at all costs. And what they perceive to be conflictual is it's fascinating to me. What nines perceive to be conflictual, like Uh it's basic living in my opinion. Now I'm someone who gets energized by conflict but if, like, if Billing and I, my nine, nine husband and I go out to dinner to a nice restaurant and he orders a filet and they bring him a sea bass, nine times out of ten, Billy Shuey is going to savor the sea bass, all to avoid the conflict of telling the server they got it wrong. It's mm. fascinating to me. I'm like, we're paying $40 for this and I want... I want my medium rare filet. Like there's nothing wrong with saying this is what I ordered, but that's conflictual for nines. And as their parents, we think, oh my gosh, if I don't make you have an opinion about everything right now, you're going to get run over. And I am here to tell you, Alex, Billy would be right here with me. He's 41 that nines, nines are going to be just fine. Actually. Okay. They don't need, so we need to stop. The latitude they need is we need to stop making them have an opinion about everything because they don't, they don't. And they don't. So the way I teach it is stop giving your nine child fill in the blank and start giving them multiple choice. Because Uh especially as children, nines know what they don't want and can verbalize that before they can verbalize what they do want. Because they see every side, they see every angle, they consider everyone involved. So when you tell your nine child, where do you want to go for your birthday? That's almost, it's too aggressive. Yeah. Well, and they have the least energy, the least. So the withdrawing stance as a whole has the least energy. The aggressive stance has the most. But within those, eights have the most energy of anyone on the Enneagram. And nines have the least. So these nine children... Like just Billy tells me all the time, just showing up to, to live the best life he can live takes an inordinate amount of energy for him. Yeah. Right. So when we do simple things like say, nope, you need to choose that's conflictual for them. 
and they don't know. And the biggest part is most of the time they really don't care. They don't. And we need to stop being concerned that they're going to get run over in life because the truth is nines do not do what they don't want to do. They are not prone to peer pressure. Billy Shuey will not jump off the bridge with you, but he's not going to stop you from jumping off the bridge. Like that's kind of this life. And so these sweet salt of the earth, wonderful um, nines that we all love and adore actually tend to be the most stubborn individuals on the planet. And so we just have to remember that for those kids, you know, we, we need to stop kind of putting them in a lane where they just don't fit. Yeah. We've got to give them the latitude to, to be easy, to, to not have an opinion, to not know exactly where they want to go. And it, and if you want that buy-in, cause we do from that child, from that spouse, mm-hmm. start giving multiple choice instead of fill in the blank. You'll get a lot further. And your, your dad is a, is a nine too, right? Oh yeah. And my sister, I got nines all over the place. Oh my goodness. Yes. Nines all over the place. So yes. Um, okay. So really quick. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to ask about nines, passive aggression in children, because I know that that is so like, my husband's a three. So Mm -hmm. passive aggression is something we deal with a lot in our house, but as a, as a parent to a child, what does that look like? Especially if you're of the aggressive stance as a parent. So no matter where you're coming from, it would be um, incorrect to uh, lump passive aggressive nines in I think our, our almost cultural picture of that is petty behavior. When, when the passive aggressiveness in nines, and this is children and adults is really more shown in that stubbornness. Okay. And in the reality that their reference point is internal. All right. So here's how, how Billy's passive aggressive at all nines, you talk to them and you have an opinion about something and you're sharing it with them. They disagree with you. They know they disagree with you and they know that they're not outwardly agreeing. They're not speaking the words to you that they agree. And yet you walk away and they know this, this is where passive aggressive comes in. They know you walk away thinking that they agree with you, Mm. but it's all internal. So think about that as a kid, child, nine child, I need you to do this. Here's all the reasons I need you to do it. And that nine child isn't going to say, I'm not going to do it, but they're also not verbalizing. I'm going to do it. They know in their mind what they're going to do and they're not sharing it with you. And that's what's passive aggressive. Oh my goodness. Like took us all to school. Cause like that's fat. Like as a, as a parent, I don't, I don't think that my withdrawing child is a nine. Yeah. Uh, But man, like I can imagine that that would be exhausting to just never really fully know what is right. And that's where, that's what the actual passive aggressive is, is the nines absolutely knows in their mind, they're constantly questioning. Do I like this? Do I not? Do I agree with this? Do I not? They're used to all that questioning and they land somewhere, but they rarely share what, where they land with you. Okay. And as adults and as children, they just pay, pay attention to that because they know that they're giving off agreement and affability, even when they disagree or they're not going to do it. And they kind of go on about their life and do exactly what they plan to do. Okay. But they were never overtly um, offensive about it or, you know, conflictual about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank it's you for taking that detour with me. Yeah. 
Um, so then you got these, these, um, I'm going to do fours. Um, I'm going to go from top, you know, clockwise in terms of triads. So you got fours who are feeling dominant. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned at the beginning with Will, you know, I would have aggressively spent so long trying to fill his half empty glass. And what four children need latitude for is their fluctuating emotions because mm. they've got them. Like we, we tend to lump fours as just these morose, sad people. When the truth is they're on a swing. I've had fours themselves say, Oh, I'm a, I'm on a swing. I'm on this end, but I'm going to be coming back around. Like, mm -hmm. and, and for, for the reality is that for human beings who are not fours, every other number, our emotions, the rate at which our emotions fluctuate, if you want to compare it, you think about your moods over the past month as a one or as an eight, mm -hmm. you have to shorten that timeline to, um, you take what you feel and the transitions that every other number feels in about a month's time, a four can feel that many and can transition that many times in an hour. And that's real life. Mm -hmm. And so for, for Billy and I, he came up with the language that Will's on a roller coaster. We recognize that. And what we chose to do as parents was we're not saying you can't get on the roller coaster because he, that's saying, don't be you. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we don't get on the roller coaster with him. And we put parameters on the highs and lows on the, on the dips of the roller coaster. And you know, that's where we come in and we set those, those boundaries. Because the reality is Will's emotions as a four are going to fluctuate all the time. Okay. And the allowance, the latitude for fours comes in, in you've got to watch it. And I guarantee you parents, you know, if your child is a four, because you have probably daily had the conversation, you were so ungrateful. You, you know, you've jumped into or dipped into, you have so much that I didn't have when I was your age and all of that, because it came at a moment when they saw what was missing and they're experiencing disappointment and we don't have space for that. And we saw it with Will early, early on. And we found that we, if we didn't jump into it with him, if I didn't admonish him for if, looking around and realize what he had, he came out of the natural disappointment so much swifter and without shame that th twos, threes and fours are always carrying anyway. Okay. So you've got yeah. to have latitude for fours to be fluctuating. And then our wonderful fives, they're always in their head. They're always thinking they're always withdrawing. They're, they're in the room with you and they're withdrawing because they're in their mind, right? Their, their reference point is internal and they're thinking always. And these are the kids who love to be alone. And as parents, we think we are giving, we are serving them well by plucking them from their their lone book reading and their collections. And we say, you need to be socialized. You, you know, we can't, you can't be a loner for life. You need to be socialized. And we pick them and we pluck them up and we put them in scouts and in soccer and things they didn't even necessarily choose for themselves. And what's happening for those fives, it happens at the adult level as well. The, the arrow, it's a whole nother understanding, but the arrow that moves away from our number is our stress number. It should be the one we recognize and understand it's the next most important after our core number because we're all stressed a lot of the time, mm -hmm. especially and, as adopted moms. Yes. And five children go to seven. 
and they become sarcastic and cynical. And what they do as children is they become sarcastic and cynical and they tell jokes that don't land quite right, but they, but sounded great in their head. And because they're so internally referenced and in their mind, they don't read social cues like the rest of us do. And so then all they're seeing is a reaction to them that makes them think, well, this is why I like being by myself. Yeah. So you have to have some latitude for your five child to be alone. And you have to um, watch for isolation. Don't, don't let them get isolated. And if you do want them to socialize more, explore something with them that they are interested in doing with other people. It'll be huge. It'll serve your five child so well. So my son, Rock, who is one of my adopted sons, I, of course, I cannot say for sure, but I have a feeling that five, so when I, that he's a five, but when I started learning about the Enneagram and I started seeing how much alone time fives need to recharge and how little social energy they have. So my, my son, who I think maybe a five, he has some five tendencies. I started this experiment, experiment with him where whenever I saw him getting overwhelmed, I put him in a room by himself, which feels as an adoptive mom, it feels so counterintuitive because we're told like, you're not supposed to do that. Don't make him feel abandoned. But like, one, especially yeah. as a one. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's so that's against the rules. Like you're supposed to connection and attachment. And he does so much better when I'm like, you seem like you need some alone time. And I he will play by himself for hours. And he is such a happier kid when I do that, but it's so against what I think I should do, which is like you need to learn to acclimate and blah, blah, no, you, know? you don't. Because the truth is, Alex, I'm so glad you brought that up. While eights have the most energy and nines have the least, the only other number on the Enneagram that it's important to understand that energy piece is fives, where it's very unique. And what happens with fives, they have a set store of energy. They're born, whatever it is, it doesn't get bigger or smaller. So I describe it like a bank account or a gas tank. That's what fives have. And some are born with a bigger one than others. But for all fives, when they get to empty in that gas tank, there is no bringing it back until they are by themselves to recharge. And it's so important. And so five children, some clues for your five children, they want to know when, when social engagements begin and they want to know when they end. Yes. And they want to know who's going to be there. Because all people drain from fives, but some people drain them much more than other people. And because they're thinking dominant and they intuitively know about their energy store, they're always calculating to make sure they've got enough because they know once they get to empty, they have to be completely alone to get back to Mm. full again. And so that's that's intuitive and a wonderful thing to do for your child who might be a five because to continue to engage and want a reaction from him is he's already at empty and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better until he's alone. Yeah. So you brought up a good point and I'm curious. Um, he, you know how when you, I mean, you have kids, like they always say like, don't, 
don't, you know, don't tell them something until right before, because then they'll nag you about it. They get too excited, like blah, 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 blah. And for my other kids, that's great. Like I don't tell them things three days in advance because they will not quit talking about it for him. It throws him even like his therapist is coming over. Like if I tell him right before he like has a meltdown, Yep. but if I prep him for it, he's okay. So like, maybe you talk about that with your kids. Like, how do you do that differently with maybe specifically five children? Yeah. I actually think the prep thing is letting them know in advance is, is particularly helpful triad wise. I think five, sixes and sevens for all different reasons. Sevens like to anticipate, like if it's something pretty awesome, you are giving your seven the best gift ever by telling them in advance because that's their, their most wonderful energy is spent on anticipation mm-hmm. for sixes. They don't want to be put in a position where they haven't thought through every angle. And if you surprise a six with it, uh, we have friends who um, they're pretty certain that their child who's going into sixth grade is a six and they surprised um, both of their children. She's the younger one, like right before Thanksgiving, like they woke up Thanksgiving week and said, surprise, we're going to Disney, Disney world. She freaked out. She had a total meltdown. It was not fun. Didn't want to go. Wasn't fun at all. And it was Disney. And it's because she's got so much fear and doubt that she's dealing with that to just hit her with that. She hasn't processed that. And so it's hard. That's, it's going to break you out of that actually, um, stances for that. And it's almost, if you can recognize if your child is thinking dominant, a five, a six or a seven, that's actually the ones who are, it's best for them to know in advance for sure. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. I think that, I think that, ah, man, the Enneagram just puts such a different perspective on parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though, yeah, every, I mean, we've said for centuries, each child is different. You have to parent them differently, yeah. but I think that there are some things that are, that people still just give blanket suggestions on such as that, that five kid of mine that I yes. think is a five, like, I have had to really learn that he's different and I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing him a disservice by trying to put him in a box of like, this is what you have to do as a kid or, you know, whatever. Um, girl, and, and our kids are all different. And so I think it's more our generation of being kids when our parents approached parenting like the same. And it's mm-hmm. just, we're not, if you are going to take the time to understand yourself and understand Enneagram, then you, then you automatically know you're, you're dealing with, one of nine different ways of seeing and being in the world. So essentially what we believe for parent, we're coming at it from a different angle for parents. Um, And first we say, you got to know your own number. You got to be doing your own work. You can't, you can't piecemeal Enneagram. You can't say, well, I'm not going to really work on myself, but I'm going to look for this in my kid and help them. Because if you're not doing your work, then it's a loss. But where we're, we look at stances and focus on stances for our children, we believe as parents that where we need to be particularly um, uh, intentional in what we're in, in our self-reflection is <clears throat> in triads. So eights, nines, and ones doing dominant. What we are all dealing with, Alex, you know it just like I do, is anger. Uh huh. We are dealing with anger, and as eights, nines, and ones, parenting. If we aren't working, doing our own work, we are putting a lot of our anger on our children. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of pressure. Lot. And it's not good. 
it is, and it's detrimental. And so that um, we have all kinds of steps for it. But what we're saying is one, eights, nines, and ones, you got, you got to really be paying attention to how you're putting your anger on your children. Twos, threes, and fours. What's most commonly associated with the feeling triad is shame. Mm-hmm. But twos, threes, and fours, and I'm interested because your husband's a three, you know, kind of where you see this. More than that, we think more than shame, twos, threes, and fours, um, they're also dealing with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And the definition here of anxiety is an uneasiness with what's within. Okay, yeah. And so for all parents, who are twos, threes, and fours. There's an element of shame, but we think more often than not, and we've gotten good response from those parents, um, what you're putting on your kids that's your own is anxiety. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And my guess is for threes, it's how you're not go- you're not fitting in. You know, you're not. It's it's probably more in what you're putting out to the world. Because if you're a parent and you you aren't even thinking about the fact that you rein in whatever you're dealing with. And then you put something out. This is what you're putting out to the world. You almost see that as a protective measure. And you're, and, and all that is, is a version of anxiety that you're then placing on your kid. And if your kid isn't a two, three or four, it's not hitting very well. Right? well and I, I can see just the pairing of me and my husband. I think that what we could possibly be projecting onto our kids is like, I want it done right. He wants it done efficiently. So our kids are like, what do you yeah. want for me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Process, follow the process or do it quickly. Which one? Which one? Yeah. Right. Yes. And then um, for five, sixes, and sevens, that fear is real. And, you know, um, six parents, I'll use you as an example. You know, um, you, can, you can apply sunscreen to your child without showing them pictures of what skin cancer looks like. You know, there's so, like that. There's just a, this is, these are the things like I've, I've had people learning the Enneagram say to me, you know, who were pretty certain they had a six parent. You know, I was, I was a teenager before I realized I could actually go into a public restroom and just go into a stall without waiting for everyone to leave, going in, checking under all the stalls. You know, there are just different ways. Um, fives as parents, you, I, I think, carry a lot of fear that they're going to run out of energy for their child because they compartmentalize work job, home, kids, and, and tend to have more rigid timelines around mm-hmm. things because what works for them is um, that works very well because they have an, an innate fear that they're going to run out, that they're going to get to empty before it's done. Mm-hmm. And putting those kind of boundaries on a kid who's not a five, it doesn't work the same, right? Um, and, and, you know, sevens, the, the fear there, people think, oh, sevens aren't fearful. Absolutely. They're terrified that they're going to be stuck in the same experience over and over again mm-hmm. or in pain. And seven parents where that manifests is your reframing and you reframe in real time what's happening. So what that looks like from a seven child, our son, Sam is, um, a he plays select lacrosse and select soccer and in soccer, he's a goalie. And at nine years old, he was in a tournament and he got in the car after tournament. And, and as an eight mom, I want you to win. But I, what I want first is for you to do your best. You have to always give your best no matter what, if we lose and you gave your best, it's not a big deal. 
So I wasn't sure if my seven child gave his best. He gets in the car. I say, Sam, great game. Let's talk about that first goal. And my nine-year-old looked at me and said, mom, I, I don't remember goals that are scored on me. Like he reframed, which is great for a goalie. Like, yeah. like imagine a one goalie would be like, you'd, you'd miss one and you'd be done. I don't right? even comprehend. Like right? that's, there's a disconnect right? there. It's gone from his mind. And as parents, when our kids are sitting in pain, we want to reframe it for them. Like, well, think about all this. Don't, don't, don't stay there. And that, that only works for sevens. And, and, and if sevens can understand and, and touch into that, that actually is a real fear that they have as adults, mm-hmm. you know, as parents, that, that, that they'll be stuck in that. Um, my, a woman, my, the seven that I know other than my brother, um, as an adult, the most is my, um, coordinator at work. And she and I've been together for eight years and she's a seven and she has three kids and the oldest is in high school. And he experienced his first girlfriend and breakup last year and his pain, there's nothing like your child's pain, right? Seeing your child go through pain. And she said, one of these evenings, she looked at her husband and said, why did we have three children? Because that's this much more pain that's in the future. She's future oriented that that's coming down the pike, right? Because that's where seven's fear lies. It is mm. in second one of those. And you just got to watch for how you are applying that to your kids. Because if they're not a seven, which is likely mm-hmm. you're coming at this from two totally different angles. So I'm interested, I'm curious to ask you, cause this is something your mom actually touched on, you know, when she was going through and she was saying that she would think that a seven mom, an adoptive seven moms struggle would be that reframing that you're trying to reframe trauma, which is not possible. Um, so maybe touch on that, like, um, expand on that idea, like how, um, how can, how can seven moms learn to sit with really hard stuff instead of minimizing it, which is how it would come across to a kid with trauma, like saying yep. your trauma wasn't real when it definitely was. So I think the, the, the first piece I've got to give you, Alex, is for seven moms, this is a, a when we're looking at stances and stance work and you got to bring up what's repressed, okay? We're asking three, sevens, and eights to bring up feeling, ones, twos, and sixes to bring up thinking, uh, fours, fives, nines to bring up doing. Sevens and twos, Alex, are the only two numbers on the Enneagram who have no natural access, meaning it's not next to them in their wings and it's not in their line, stress or security, to what they need to bring up. Ah, okay. So my mom as a two needs to bring up productive thinking and her wings, right, as a two, she's got a doing dominant one wing and another feeling dominant three wing. And her lines as an eight and a four are more doing and more feeling. So there's no thinking that she has a natural move to. And yet that's what she's got to do. Seven parents, we're asking you to bring up feelings. And the reality is your wings are a doing eight and more thinking as a six. And your lines are more doing as a one and more thinking as a five. So we're asking you to do something that you have no natural connection to. Mm. And the reality that comes with that, Alex, is sevens think about being sad or think about something that's hard and they think they felt it. Like they're like, whew, that was close. Like I I got sad there for a minute. 
what's really happening is you thought about being, until you really start to do this work, you thought about being sad. You didn't actually pack your bags and, and go to sadness. And so if I, I, I think I, what I have to offer the most is first some steps is realizing sevens that if you just start kind of hovering above, just watch yourself non-judgmentally. That's what my mom teaches all the time. You think most of your feeling that you think you're doing is a head trip and mm. kind of just an opening up and, and, and it's an opening up and realizing again, it goes back to for, cause I'm right there with you sevens for us feeling when we bring it up, it's really more being considerate and it's just allowing your kid sitting in it with your kid not reframing, not making it positive, not moving to the next thing, not bringing all the sunshine, just, and you won't have to sit there forever. But the truth is the more you reframe and, and try to change the angle and the lens, it doesn't ever get to be felt. And, mm. and sometimes you just got to go through the feeling. Love that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, you've like taken us to school and back and well, I'm really excited about that because I feel like I've learned so much. Um, are you cool with some of these closing questions? Love it. Yeah. Go. Okay. Just for fun. What's the most overtly eight thing about you? I think it's for sure. I, I have absolute that I shoot before I aim. I do first and think second and it happens all the time. So I react well before I think about it and I feel about it never. And you can see it all over my life. And I'm a fast enough processor that I can have a good reason for why I did it. But the truth is I do before I think all the time. And I, I, yeah, no, I do that too. Yeah. But it's intentional because I don't want to. Yes. Right. Yes. Like I'm like, I'm afraid of what I will think if I allow myself to. So I'm just going to do this. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Relate with that. Uh, okay. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about being an eight? Um, favorite is my intuition. Okay. I trust my gut and I know that. And I, kn- and what it means is when I infuse myself into people, um, it, it's, it's for usually for really the best reasons and with the best intentions. Yeah. And I honestly, because I'm doing some work, I can't say the other part without getting teary, but I offend and hurt people all the time. And it was never my intention. And that shows that I'm doing some work because I think a roadblock for eights everywhere is we never mean to hurt your feelings. And if you, so we tend to say, well, if your feelings are hurt, then that's on you. That, that, that's your, that's your cross to bear. You need to deal with that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Um, I'm not mean spirited in the least and often my blunt, firm directness and the passion with which I deliver is taken, um, as meaning to inflict hurt and it's never true. Well, a couple of things. So first of all, that's one reason I really love the Enneagram because it has given me a whole different perspective on even my eight friends, you know, specifically just talking about eights is I'm like, oh, this is where that's coming from. It's actually coming from a place of love. Second of all, girl, like just spending a tiny bit of time with you, like you're not mean spirited. 
that's ridiculous. <laughs> so I just, that's, but that's the beauty of the Enneagram. It's just like coming into this. I'm like, okay, she's an eight. Not that I put that much thought into it. Like yeah. your number, but like, man, you're just such a lovely person. And like, I just, I hope that the Enneagram can continue to spread and give people the ability to sit with others and yeah. look past like that first, whatever, you know? Yeah. Look past your feelings and your reaction because, mm-hmm. um, Eights, my mom says that eights are the most, especially female eights are the most misunderstood number. And I, I think that's true. I just, and the, the, the reality is I intimidate first, I think before I, and so no one ever, like I've, I've spent a lifetime being fascinated to find out that other people were talking about me. I'm not a natural relational person, so I'm not thinking of other people. I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of the, of doing right. All the things I'm going to do. And that's a thing, you know, people observe me, um, and make a decision about who I am and love to chat with other people who have also observed me. And they're like, oh yeah, she's a bitch, you know, and you're, and, and very few people can get past their intimidation to come and just talk to me. But there's so much freedom and talking to eights because you can be fully yourself. Like I don't have to sugarcoat anything and it's amazing. I love it. I called my mom. Um, this is probably 15 years ago now. And I said, mom, I got a real problem because the golden rule is not working for me. I treat people exactly like I want to be treated and it is not going well. And I think, honestly, that it doesn't really work for anyone, right? We tend to ascribe to the world what we want. And when you realize there's eight other ways of seeing and being, then you have to be like, oh, well, maybe that's not. Maybe telling you exactly what I think without any kind of softness at all might not be good for you. So I'm just imagining, like, baby Joey being like, God, this isn't working yes. out. <laughs> Dear I'm Lord. Sure I said it in one way. <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. I love it. Um, okay. So just what do you wish that every adoptive mom or mom or just whatever knew about the Enneagram going into this? I think if you get to the stage where you're an adoptive mom, there's, um, so many elements that came together for you to do that in your own life in something that you saw in another life. And, you almost, I, my guess is you go into that with all kinds of stress that you put on yourself um, before you even start. Mm-hmm. And I, I want moms to know that, first of all, just doing that, like you are an incredible individual already for, for taking that on. You are, you are being a mom to someone who did not have that. And that in and of itself means you started out in the right place. and you just by that very act have shown how much you love that child. And I think we get ourselves into trouble, no matter whether we're adoptive mom or not, when we expect, when we have an expectation of how our child is going to be, how they're going to react, how they're going to live. And if, if we could drop those, Mm. then I think that just gives you a better starting point every day, every day. My kids are so different from me. And there's so many ways that I could, you know, with my feeling for son, I could have early on been like, Oh no, I gotta, 
I got to rein that in. I got to make sure you're not, you know, because Will, as a four, wants to talk about things that have depth and meaning. Well, the reality is at the second grade lunch table, not a lot of depth and meaning happening, right? And I could have tried to curb that and change that. And that would have been done a disservice to me and to Will. And so I think the biggest thing is let go of expectations. Let go of them because um, God made you wonderfully and made your child wonderfully and y'all are together for a reason and it's going to go well. It's not going to go exactly like you think, but in the end, it's going to go well. That's the pull quote right there. There you go. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So just to round it all out, what's your biggest piece of advice and encouragement for moms through the lens of the Enneagram in our parenting specifically? You got to watch yourself first. If you're not doing your own work, then, then Mm. you won't be helpful for your child. So Enneagram work is about self-observation. You will never arrive. I know Alex as a one, you think there's got to be a way, right? Threes, there's got to be a finish line. And, and the truth is it's no, because, because we're never going to be able to change how we see, but we can continually try to change what we do with how we see. Amen, sister. It, when you're, uh, when I was talking to your mom, she was like, you have to remember there's, there's more than one way of doing something. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> but is it the right way? Is there more than one right way? I feel like you're just the one. <laughs> I'm missing a big adjective there. Right? <laughs> Very important. I love it. Okay. Where can we find you? So, um, in terms of Billy and I are starting to really work on Enneagram parents where we're putting stuff out on our Instagram handle, but we're at Enneagram parents and Billy and I can come and teach where you are. If you go through to LTM, um, we've, we've already COVID kind of sidelined us, but we were able to teach, um, four different places before we were sidelined with, um, with, with COVID. And it takes about six hours. We have good things to say. We can split it up into two days. We love sharing um, that wisdom. And um, you find us on the LTM website. Listen, when is a book coming? That's what I want to know. So we're, we're on it. We're on it. It's interestingly enough, he's working on a, he's working on his doctorate and his, he was able to um, get Enneagram approved for his um, dissertation. Essentially it's an educational doctorate. So it's called a treatise. So he's got this, and then I have one that I'm working on for just just the journey in corporate America, and then this is our our pet project. So in the next couple of years, you're going to see hopefully three books coming from the yeah two of us. You got a a lot of free time on your hands. Oh, tons, tons. Yes. The good thing is I have the most energy on the Enneagram, so we'll figure it out. And he has the least, so he's like, you go. He you really go me. I'm pretty <laughs> sure my my book will come first. Uh, so excited for that. Okay. Joey and I are about to go answer some fun questions. And if you want to see that, go to patreon.com slash mom. Until then, go give Joey a follow in all the places. And be on the lookout for her three books coming out. There you go. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.